This is iFanboy Pick of the Week, number 685, brought to you by Mac Weldon. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter promo code iFanboy at checkout. And iFanboy listeners just like you. Fanboy Pick of the Week. This is episode 685. I am Josh Flanagan. I'm here with my co-host, Connor Kilpatrick. You're very pleasant with your hey. I Yeah. I, I looked at it. It said hello, and I was like, I'm not feeling hello, so I decided to make it sound more like hey. me. Hey. Hey, everybody. I did, I, did I crack? No, but just you were just very... It was just like a children's... It was great. Well... I'm supposed to read to my uh, my five-year-old's preschool class on Monday morning. I have to read them a story because oh. I volunteered, which is a whole thing because I have to pick something out that lets me do a lot of voices. Is he going to be embarrassed? Are you kidding me? He was, he was lobbying for it. Okay. He's, he's five. No, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, 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 a, I'm a dad who does those things, apparently. Okay. All right. All right. We're iFanboy. We share... sometimes at the wrong time every week we read our stack of comics which isn't really a stack anymore it's a it's a digital file system if we're going to be honest about it digital stack it is it is but even that's metaphorical one of us picks their favorite book of the week we call that the pick of the week if we ever finish all of these 60 to 80 page books that come out in a (laughs) given week that should by all rights have been a light week and then turned out not to be right Uh, we talk about that book other books from the week the patron pick and if we have time we'll read some listener mail or answer questions or uh, share our thoughts on things which you have asked us to share them on it should be a good time there should be some rollicking i don't know I don't know what that word actually means now that I think about it. Rollicking? I mean, I understand the context of it, but mm-hmm. using it out of just saying a rollicking time, like... It's like a, like it a, a, like a partying, a hard, you know, it's a, it's a wild partying time. Uh-huh. Rollicking. Uh-huh. Rollicking. Like, can you go a rollicking? I don't know. It's 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 not like rogering, but it's it's you, you could probably have a rogering <laughs> and a rollicking I don't want to time. Be, I don't want to be rogered. <laughs> here's your spoiler warning if you haven't read your books you will be rogered so we (laughs) recommend uh you have yourself a rollicking good time reading them uh, to avoid said rogering Hmm. Uh, connor you had the pick this week i did and as you alluded to just a few seconds ago it was a weird week because it was a fifth week normally a fifth week is really small and as much as we love reading comics it's always a little bit of a blessing here because we have a short time frame in which to read and record but DC decided to put out all of their major books and then, for good measure, basically double the size of everything else they put out. And then Marvel dumped a bunch of War of the Realm stuff. So it ended up being, for me, just a regular-sized week with actually longer books. So it felt like a bigger week than normal, even though it was the fifth week. So that was fun. What happened to me is that I, I had planned I, – I was very responsible. I started reading early on Wednesday night, you know, and I, I was like, all right, I think I got a handle on these, and I had to go to sleep, and I'd left a few. But everything I left was huge, so I was up all night last night finishing. Mm. And uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, this not interesting content. Well, I just remember the, the, the feeling of I laid on my bed, I opened up a book we're going to talk about in a second, Superman Leviathan Rising Special. I tapped the screen to see how many pages, and I was like, 87? Yeah. Or whatever it was. All right. Well, we'll get to that in a second. Check the week was Doomsday Clock number 10, 
Jeff Johns, Gary Frank, Brad Anderson, Rob Lee. It was almost as if you took this book out of the context of the Doomsday Clock story, because I still don't really know what that is. But taken on its own as a 40-page book, I guess this was, whatever it was, this felt very much kind of like, and I'm probably projecting, but it felt very much kind of like Jeff Johns' middle finger to DC right now and where it's going. And it felt very Grant Morrison-y in which, in this issue, Dr. Manhattan dives deep into the DC universe to figure out why it's so strange, why it keeps shifting and changing, and it becomes very metaphysical and meta-commentary on the nature of comics and how they keep getting rebooted and characters get rebooted and change and die and and are reborn. And it became a very Grant Morrison-esque dissection of that, as well as an old Hollywood history book with Trader Vic's and Dan Tana's and the fire and and Paramount in 1929, which was a real fire and uh, Hedy Lamarr and all the stuff I love in addition to comics. Hmm. So it became very easy for me to make this the pick of the week in addition to the, the delicious Gary Frank art. Again, I don't really understand this book. I've never understood this book from the very beginning in, in terms of what it is, what it means, and what it's trying to do. But this particular issue, I was all in on. I was I wrapped myself up in like a warm blanket in it. <laughs> I just really liked the idea of examining how Superman is the sort of the linchpin of the DC Universe and how his constantly being rebooted affects that world, changes it. You know, I like the sequence with, with his parents, how they keep finding him different ways and different times, different years, depending on when the comics were rebooted. I like how they made the new 52 Superman look extra stupid. <laughs> with the shine. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all the, the promise of that rebirth, you know, that brief rebirth special that ended up going nowhere with Wally West confronting Dr. Manhattan was great. And I, really, I also really like the saga of this, this actor this closeted actor who, you know, shows up in Hollywood in the 20s as a kid, teenager with no job, ends up, starts as a delivery boy on Paramount's lot, ends up as a huge star, and it's all because of Dr. Manhattan. And I, I, I like that whole subplot. The brief appearance by the Justice Society was great. Mm-hmm. This was really terrific, as weird and as strange as this book is. It's interesting. Uh, I I think I had a different read on it than you did. I, I enjoyed it. That's the, I'll just put that up. This is not going to be that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't see it as a middle finger to DC as no, much. No, I mean that's of... that's my own that's my own issue. Well, that's right. I mean, production. like I think like you are you are definitely sort of inserting your sort of subjective take on this and molding it, to, which is what you're supposed to do, by the way. You know, to me, it feels very self-reflective. I mean, obviously, like I feel like I was going to say knowing Jeff Johns, but that's not knowing his work. I mean, mm-hmm. like he he's a planner. Like he he knows what he's going to do. So I don't think that this story necessarily changed through the course of it being published. No, I don't think it did either. Even though it feels as if, and I don't know, that the rest of DC take, you know, was taking, changed. But that might have just been how long this took. This first issue came out in 2017. Yeah. So I think that the direction DC was going in 2017 drastically changed in the intervening 18 months, and now the book is sort of irrelevant. And I don't know if that is affected in how they're making the book or not, but clearly it was going in a different different way. In the intervening years, Jeff Johns got fired from the CCO position. Mm-hmm. Clearly something changed. Mm-hmm. How much it changed, I don't know, but this seemed like it was going to be a guidepost. You know, it takes place a year beyond the comics we're reading now, although it's silly because it's been two, it's been almost two years since it started. <laughs> but 
five years later. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense anymore. So now it's just become this sort of strange experiment that's beautiful. Yeah. And that's, I'm, and I'm, that's how I'm reading it. It's just a strange experiment that they're doing. Well, it's interesting because in the sort of beginning of this one, I, I, I always do this. I have this twinge of, oh, he's, he's going to just do this. I was going to say aping, but it's sort of heavy repetition mm-hmm. of what Alan Moore did. And which is kind of what happened, where where there's that issue. I don't remember what issue it was, but where where John, you know, exists in all times at once, and he's exploring, you know, quantum blah blah blah. Yeah. Which which I was in no way able to handle the first time I read it. Mm-hmm. Um. And every time I've read it since then, I'm like, oh my god, this is brilliant. Like especially given when it was written, I feel like mm-hmm. we understand more now that we did that. But that might just be me. But a- as I went on, and the different things started happening, and it pulled pulled together first of all there's the story with the actor and then you pull in this sort of comment on comics you know on the dc universe specifically but also acknowledging that they're a i mean like it's self-referential they're Mm -hmm. he's winking at the fact that like it's a comic universe it's fictional there's all these inconsistencies with it I, i started to really enjoy that and while it is taking off from what Alan Moore did, it's not just an impression at this point. There's other things that are bringing into it. I think that the, you're very spot on with your sort of Grant Moore, Morrison uh, influence on this. Obviously, Grant Morrison was influenced by Alan Moore, and and um, Jeff Johns is going to be a direct student of both of those people and a contemporary uh, of, of Grant Morrison to a certain extent. He's both, really. Yeah. You know, once they got into that Superman stuff, with all the different versions in this, you know, like it was swirling, like as you read it, you know, yeah. it's just and moving and, and, you know, it is one of those things that if you don't understand, if you don't know Superman history to a relatively, you know, big extent, like it's not going to make any sense to you. Mm-hmm. So it's a really insular or not as impactful. You just read it, you know. Yes. Yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's the case with Watchmen itself. You know, if you were like a huge fan of those Charlton characters, you might really get more out of it. But, Either way, to appreciate it in sort of the way that that's all happening, I think it, it helps that we know that stuff, and it makes it all the deeper. It it was really enjoyable. I think it it is almost like Watchmen in the same way. I think that I'm not always sure what it's trying to say. Yep. And I, I again, that's not a criticism. Like I like that. Like oh, it's saying something, and I have to work at it. And what it's saying might change depending on what's going on when I read it. And I think that that's a big strength of, of work like this. And also, ultimately, we're not – I mean, we have two more issues. Who knows when they're going to come out? Yeah. Do you think this is officially late? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They talked about that. Uh, or, 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 like, or they planned like every two months or something. No, like no. That. It's been longer than two months. I mean, you've, talked, you've had ten issues over the course of – Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, they they have said we, are, we apologize for the lateness. Because originally, it, it did come out monthly for the first couple, mm-hmm. which was just silly because – no, Gary Frank can't. You can't, you, you can't do this work like this yeah. in this but much time. Ulti- my point is, ultimately, we, we're we not going to be able to judge this fully until it's done. Yes. Because right now, you look at it, you say, why did we spend five issues with those random characters, Punch and Jewel, and, you know, mm-hmm. the joke? Like, why did we do that? So far, they, they disappeared from the story. They got killed. They don't mean anything. So, But maybe they come back, or maybe it becomes relevant later. We don't know. So, ultimately, we can't judge the entirety of Doomsday Clock until we have the two more issues, all we can do is look at it as a piece uh, of a whole. And as a piece, I just this was I found this utterly compelling. As you said, it it sort of yeah. picked up a momentum and started swirling around your head as you got into mm-hmm. his race to the DCU and 
the Justice Society and the Superman's reboots and even a little callback to his run on Action Comics. It, it, the momentum picked up really, really well. And in the beginning of this series, it felt more like he, like the first issue especially, felt like he was trying to do Alan Moore, his specifically his voice, and it was not working. I remember you weren't on that show, but I remember talking to Ryan about how the, we were both sort of shocked about how kind of clunky it was. But I think mm-hmm. he's gone away from that as it's gone on. And while stylistically it's clearly Alan Moore influence, I think it's 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 he's not trying to do the staccato voice as much as he was originally. It's still there yeah. in the in the in the structure of the story, but not quite as much. Like the first issue was really glaringly like I'm trying to do Alan Moore, and it wasn't really working because he's not Alan Moore. He's Jeff Johns. He's great for a whole t- different, entirely different reason. It's weird because you know he's doing. I really think he's doing a good job of this. And it, no, I think it's, like, I think it's really well done. Right. No, the the point being though, like if you were to ask me, is Jeff Johns the guy who should be doing the Alan Moore thing? I'd be like, no. But I do think that he is the guy who probably understands it as well as anybody. So therefore, it makes him a good candidate. And what's interesting is, you know, his comic work hasn't been super exciting. For the last few years, as he has taken on a more corporate role at, D- at DC, the only other book he's writing right now is Shazam, and it's been it's been fine, but yeah. it hasn't been like the Jeff Johns of ten years ago, who was doing JSA and Superman and all these you know the books that were the most exciting books on, on the stands. But this book feels like that. And I don't know if this is like a Kurt Busiek Astro City thing, where all of his creative energy sort of gets dumped into this one book, and everything else yeah. you know he, he has to, he's he's only got what's left for everything else. But this feels like old Jeff Johns. This book. And I know Gary Frank's a big part of that. It's one of the best looking books out there. Yeah, I, I, I've always liked Gary Frank. Yeah. I think not as much as you, but um, only because you really like Gary Frank. I really like Gary Frank. He's my favorite artist, yeah. But, but going through this, I forget, I forget that I'm not looking at Dave Gibbons mm. sometimes. And I don't mean that he's aping. I just like he's captured. <laughs> whereas we were saying Jeff Johns can't necessarily – do Alan Moore convincingly? Well, Gary Frank can channel Dave Gibbons convincingly. Mm. I mean, in in sort of just evoking that style, that pacing, that there's a stillness to it. Yes, I think that. So when it's not still, you know, it's that that grid, that grid, that rigid grid really adds to that. Like it, it sort of makes everything metered and pacing, but it also allows you to break out of it when you do. And and that again, that swirling that we keep, which is really what it felt like, you know. That had a lot to do with the time jumping around, but also the art, like the the characters gain excitement. Like it was, it was like uh, graphically paced really well. Like like not like everything was calm and then got more and heated and things were going around and it's very subtle and it just fits. It fits really well. It's, it, it's one of those things where my words are losing. I'm losing words in sort of explain how the art works. Uh, in this way, but it's something he's doing that's real good. And I'll and I'll also add that while I'm not excusing the lateness because it's a planning thing, and also they should they should just should have known. Yeah, he's doing a lot of images per page. You yes. know, it's not just nine panels in some pages. The, the final page has uh, twelve panels, and it's a thirty-eight page book. He's doing more, almost more work than than your normal page. So it's take this takes a long time. He absolutely is doing more work than your normal page. Like, there's no corners being cut here, much like Dave Gibbons. Like, there's there's guys who do monthly books, and you learn shortcuts. You learn ways to speed it up. I remember Darwin Cook saying to us one time, he's like, I learned to do it faster. But by doing that, that means it's a shortcut, and you can see it. See the difference in when he did New Frontier and then when he did, you know, stuff later. He got a lot more sparse. 
Frank Miller, same thing. They all do that in a way. But Gary Frank is not doing it here. And it's one of those things where you look at, you know, people's like best stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was the time before they knew to do that. And sometimes it works against them. Sometimes it works for them. But there is like something about the effort on the page you can see. Yeah. He's putting all of it into this book. Yes. It's very impressive from a, from a craft standpoint. We've talked about that with many books that we'll be talking about this week. Yeah, I, I really like this. I mean, this again, it's not a commentary in the entire series. It's just commentary on this particular issue, which was, I thought, terrific. And for an old DC guy like me, it was a, a lot of fun to to swirl back into a world that I guess is dead and gone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was a lot of fun to, to remember and look back and see. I always, I just like comics are strange and weird and, and how they're reflected back into the pages themselves. Mm-hmm. It was fun. Yeah, with I the really people who, the, with the people who sort of professionally have to think about them all the time. Right. Another big book this week: Batman Last Night on Earth, number one. Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo, Jonathan Glapion, FCO Placencia, Tom Napolitano. This is the team from the Snyder Capullo Batman run. This is supposedly Snyder's final take on Batman. It's from the DC Black Label, which is such a silly thing. <laughs> this is the one that had the bat penis before. No, no, that that was uh, Brian Azzarello. Which the second right. no. event never came out. This is the label, though. Is that the though. black label, though? Yes, that was the first black label right. book. They've slapped it on other books. You know, like, I think the Dark Knight Returns has it now. It's it's sort of like their prestige label. It's also, their black label. Also, shit in this. Right. So it's their prestige was, adult label. There was one tiny swear in it, which seems so out of place that it took me out of it completely. I was like, what's yeah. that doing? And the thing is, like, I really like it. <laughs> Again, this is a strange sort of Elseworlds future tale, which I love. Mm-hmm. It's the take on the final act that they don't get to do in the regular books. So, what does it mean? And this has been seceded through Snyder's previous run. You can take it as continuity if you want, or you can remove it if you want to. Snyder previously introduced the idea that, which is stupid and silly, and I don't really necessarily love it, that Bruce has a machine that will clone himself every generation. So, there'll be a Bruce Wayne for Gotham for, for all time. That's the ultimate exercise in narcissism. Absolutely. And so, here. Bruce Wayne wakes up in Arkham Asylum after this opening scene with uh, a a disturbing, creepy, young, dead body. He wakes up, and he's got motor problems. He can't talk properly. His doctor looks like the Joker. The rest of the staff looks like the other rogues gallery. It's sort of like the end of Wizard of Oz. And then Alfred shows up and says, hey, you've been sick, but now you're awake. And then it's revealed that he's actually in the deep future. Alfred's an old man. And the world's gone to hell. The Justice League is basically dead. There's an underground group of Amazon superheroes that one woman leads that are going to escape to Gym World because the world at the surface is so terrible. Bruce decides to take action. And the grindhouse Snyder thing that he's been doing since Batman ended is that the Joker's head is in a jar giving commentary as this is all going along. And it's weird and it's strange. And it's sort of a hybrid of Snyder's original Batman run plus what he's been doing lately. But... I dug it. Well, for against all strange odds, I dug it. I started it and thought, I don't want to read this. <laughs> and again, I really, I did a lot of thinking <laughs> about... Uh, I, I find myself reluctant to say that something isn't good. And so I was trying to think, do I just not like this because I don't think it's good? Or do I not think it's not for me? Because I think that's a fine line. Mm-hmm. I think that there's, there's, some, sure. there's definitely... Yeah. Some objective things you're like, I really, I think this is not good. And then there's other things that, you know, I, I, I like Scott Snyder. I don't really like a lot of his Batman stuff. 
largely because he's definitely in a horror psychological horror sort of mode, and I don't like that stuff. It's just not my thing. He's turned it up since Batman ended. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's funny because the thing that the stuff that I like the best of his was sort of that early on the jock Dick Grayson as Batman story, which was pretty straight up. And I, and I was like, oh, this, this is working for me. It's fun. And then he got into all of the the lore and the owls and the blah, blah, blah and all this stuff. And as we forgot and then, you know, finally metal. Yeah. And the, it, it's just it's not my thing. I can't even speak to metal being good or not. I don't know. Didn't seem good to me, but uh, but it's like trying to listen to a language you don't understand in the way. So as I was reading through this, I thought, I'm, I'm probably not going to like this. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, as a rule, find myself super interested in this future world and all this stuff that was going on. However, by the end, I was definitely intrigued by where the plot was. Um, it made me curious enough about, like, why is Wonder Woman like this? This seems wrong. Mm-hmm. Not in a bad way. Like, it's it's like... Like, what's the story behind all this? I really don't like the Joker head talking the whole time at all. That's a, that's a thing <laughs> yeah. that I, I'm... I would have put money on Vegas on that. Yeah, no, that's not that's not hard to figure out. But there were things in it where I was... I, I, I got gen, genuinely interested in sort of what the plot was. And I was like, okay, I'd like to see how this is going to play out. It was really good looking. I just put that like... Yeah, a, I mean, I, I found myself really having missed how Capullo draws Batman. Yep. And, and those characters, Alfred, and you know, this is also much like Gary Frank. This is not a small undertaking. He's doing no a lot here. He's drawing a lot of characters. This was sixty something, you know, almost sixty pages. He's doing all the major DC characters. It's, it's a lot. You know, any artist will tell you the more characters you add, the the longer it takes. Yeah, and and it's not it's not half assed in any way. I mean, Capullo and Glapion clearly work together. So like you know, by the end, I was definitely like, oh, there's there's definitely something here that's kind of cool. But I, I don't think I'm going to keep reading it. Mm, interesting. You know, I, I'm interested to know who uh, this new nemesis person is. Like, I, I like that. Right. Can be it's re- sort reveal. of. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I forgot about that. The bad guys for someone named Nemesis, and they suspect it's one of his old protégés. And <laughs> that sort of has a Armageddon 2001 vibe to it. I didn't love it, but I really enjoyed it because I do like these, stra- you know, these like Hulk future imperfect kind of stories dark yep. Knight returns like like the end of the the end of the road for the character and, and however you want to take it now does this mean i'm putting it into my batman continuity probably not i'm probably just gonna read it as an elseworlds like a yeah and that's totally fine i'll just enjoy it that way it's fun i i, I had a fun time reading it more than i i was i actually didn't know what to think when i first started reading it. i was like i don't know what this is gonna i mean i knew what snyder yeah. said about it i knew this is his supposed to be his last take on batman and and it's capullo but I didn't, and I knew about the head in the jar, but I'll be honest, I knew nothing, and I just was, you know, it was, I went in fresh, and so it hit, it hit a couple of buttons. I, I, I went in skeptical, and then by the end, I was, I was grooving with it, I was fine with it, but I have to, I have to, like, I, I kind of don't, it's, it's not for me still, like, I kind of don't care, but I, I came to the conclusion, like, it's not bad, like, it was, it was well done, I can, I can totally say that, I'm not super interested in it. Uh, enough to keep reading, I guess. But if we were to come back here whenever in a month from now or two months and you were to be like, yeah, the second one was really good, I would read it. You know, I wouldn't be like, I'm not going to read that. I hate it. Right. So I'm very curious what you thought of Heroes in Crisis number nine, the final issue. Tom King, Clayman, did all the art, although I was not convinced of that. I was a little surprised to see he was only the artist listed. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I can't speak to that. I wasn't I wasn't thinking about it. But let's just you know we'll believe the thing for now. I think. Um, let's see. 
I think that I understood what the metaphor was by the end of it. And I think that if the point is to talk about post-traumatic stress and people who are trying to do good things, who are always trying to do the right thing and are under enormous stress from it, it causes them to make bad decisions. And it is reasonable to accept that if you are one of these superheroes and there's anything real about their psychology, that this is probably not far off the mark of something that might actually happen. Mm -hmm. I think that it's effective in that way. I think that they came up with a really good device at the end to make sure that Wally West isn't necessarily evil. Mm -hmm. Like he didn't make a choice that seemed completely against his character and the things that were done were justified. Was it ultimately satisfying to read as a superhero comic? I don't know. I would agree with everything you said except for the fact that I still don't think that what Wally did was in character because his severe level of trauma has appeared nowhere else other than this book. However, what I'll say is my overall thought is similar to yours. The speech that Wally gives about why he did what he did in which he's feeling so much pain and sadness and trauma that if he revealed to the world that the superheroes feel the same way they do, that they're scared and they're sad and they hurt and they have anxiety and they have issues and that they're going to get help for it, then, mm -hmm. then maybe everyone will feel like it's okay to go get help for whatever they're feeling and then the world will be a better place. I totally get that. I can hear Tom saying it. I can hear his buddies from the war saying it. It rips my heart apart to yes. think about that. I don't want it anywhere near superheroes. It doesn't work within escapism. It doesn't work within... Uh, this context that we're reading these books. I think ultimately this is uh, this was an interesting exercise that will be, uh, best be forgotten. And listen, there's no perfect writer. Sometimes the events don't work out. Brenda did Secret Invasion. We moved on. Then this doesn't diminish him as a writer. Now, this is not going to diminish Tom King as a writer. I think it was a brave choice i think there's a lot of things in here that i think it takes a lot of guts to do to put on a page and try it it's like one of the things in the end was like i don't know that it was bad but I, like was it enjoyable no no not really you know the sort of head, talking head pages got really ramped up by the end and those were kind of funny and clever and interesting but in a way almost out of place from the rest of it although like i get it they started to back up which also again would never happen if, if all yeah. their information got blown into, out into the world they wouldn't start sanctuary back up again I liked the running gag of the different Robins throughout, you know, each one of them yep. thinking they were yeah. the odd Robin out. That was a good bit. Yep. Other than uh, Damien, because he's, clearly he's a sociopath. <laughs> Again, we've, we've said it all the way through, so it's not surprising. I, don't, I just don't think this works within the context of, of escaping his superhero stories. It, yeah. it totally works within human stories. And again, I felt a very strong human emotion to Wally's speech because I can... Yes. You know, because you're know, human. Knowing Tom King struggled with PTSD from the war, knowing so many soldiers struggle with PTSD through through the war, I can hear humans saying this. I just can't hear superheroes saying it. That's why they're superheroes. And I get I'm going against what Wally's saying, but I don't think it works. I think that that's just my own personal opinion. Also, I felt like one Wally was taller than the other Wally the whole time, and that was that was making me weirding me out. In terms of what Wally would or wouldn't do, I mean, I think that, that I don't know where it happened. 
I think it was in the Flash book where he got saddled with being part of a continuity where, where he remembered that he had a family in that rhythm yeah. part. I think that is your initial mistake right there. I think that was a bad choice yeah. for the character. They should have left that stuff in the past. The same way that if you were to bring up like the missing Peter Parker baby in Spider-Man, it would ruin Spider-Man. Right. And I think that that's what they did. And maybe it's because Wally didn't have his own book or wasn't considered to be a major character. Or Xander Dio was trying to destroy him. Well, Sorry. you know, I was going to say like this, this I was going to say the smacks of a Dan Dio thing. But the fact is, I don't really know what he does or what he's like. <laughs> right. I don't well, know. Like, I know. We're, like he's a straw man for whoever's making that decision, whether it's one person or a group of people, you know, and what it does is it. it I was going to use the word tarnishes the legacy, but it, it changes the opinion that some people have of a character mm-hmm. that shouldn't be that way. I feel like in the past there was probably a better venue for this. Than there is now, meaning that like like in the long past, they would have put this in like a Vertigo book or something like that back when they mm-hmm. did that kind of thing or like labeled it Elseworlds almost. Right. But it seems to be in the middle of the continuity. But also not. Weird. I mean, in the same way, it's not really. I know, but it's Wally crisis and, story in that he's not really. But over in the Flash book, is, is Wally in jail now? No. There's been no, no mention so. of him since he supposedly died. Right. Because we're back. Oh, we're also doing, we're also doing year one. So we're in the past. So that works, though, with it. I mean, like, he went back, some shit happens, he's in jail, we don't mention him. But I don't like that. Then what's going to happen, though, is that somebody's going to pick up on this at some point. Right. And when Wally was in jail, he'll go crazy and become a villain or, you know, like something. And it's not going to be as good because it won't be as authentic because Tom King is going through, you know, this. So it's. Right. And that's a, yeah, it's a really good. It will get diluted even further and be completely pointless because of some hack. It'll be a parallax thing. Yes, yes, exactly. So I think it was kind of worth reading. Like I enjoy talking about it and, and dissecting it. I enjoy trying to glean what of it is worthwhile because the writer has written so many other things that are worthwhile. But just think about what the change would be like if it was a different style artist or something like that. Like no, I, I liked looking at it a lot. I, I love the Clayman art. I love how, how the way it looked. And again, we've talked about it. I liked scenes of it. They were really good yeah. scenes. And much like we just talked about with Doomsday Clock, the craft is clearly there. It's a very high-level book. Oh, sure. It's just, I don't think it's, it was a good idea. That's all. If it had been an Elseworlds book, you know, a slap, this outside story, kind of like Doomsday Clock is to me, yeah. then I might like it more. But yeah. to worry about the ramifications of it is, is I can't get out of the back of my head. And maybe there may be none. They may just forget about it. Yeah, and then I think that'll be best. But it is one of those things where this is what we would say about Grant Morrison all the time is that he swings for the fences. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't all hit. Now we love Grant Morrison. We're still going to read his work. They don't all hit. And I think this is one of those ones that didn't hit. Well, like I said, Bendis hasn't hit. You know, yeah. We a lot of a lot of big writers go for big stories and they don't always work. Sometimes they do. When they do, they're great, but they don't always work. Yep. So for about. I don't know how many minutes, but for a little while, Superman Leviathan Rising Special Number 1 could have been the pick of the week. Okay. For the first half of the book. Sure. Mm, first three quarters of the book. Nah, the first... What's what's between half and three quarters? Halfway through the Jimmy Olsen story. Three-fifths. No, or five-eighths. This 80-page behemoth is the special that kicks off the Leviathan story. It... It features a Superman story from Bat Bendis and Yannick Paquette, a Lois Lane story from Greg Rucka and Mike Perkins, which is going to lead into a Lois Lane book, Jimmy Olsen story from Matt Fraction and Steve Lieber, which is going to lead, lead into a Jimmy Olsen book, and Supergirl story by Mark Andreco and Eduardo Spencica, which is going to lead it back into the Supergirl book. So this is sort of like your starting point for all the Superman books going forward. 
And those are the teams. Like Ruck and Perkins are doing the Lois Lane book, and Fraction and Libra are doing the Jimmy Olsen book. And it was funny because to open the credits page, it was like, oh, this is this is old Marvel. <laughs> I love the Superman story. I love the Lois Lane story. I loved about half the Jimmy Olsen story. Um, d- didn't care for the Supergirl story. But I like this whole thing. We've talked about Superman books, obviously, a ton. I'm enjoying this Leviathan story. I think the setup for it's fun. These villains are fun. Ben is still writes a terrific super Clark Kent. His Clark Kent who gets, who gets kidnapped and is really bad at acting like he's kidnapped is, was funny. Mm-hmm. There were a and couple then the, then the follow-up tag on that, which is like, oh, he's not acting, is he? Like, they all know. <laughs> Bruce is like, oh. <laughs> there was a couple of strange things, like... So, so Talia al Ghul, the old head of Leviathan, shows up in this funky white dress. And then later on, Lois shows up wearing the same dress. It's never acknowledged, dem- that. never acknowledged or mentioned. Yeah, and then she asks about Talia. I was like, well, why? if you don't know about her, why are you wearing her clothes? Which was super confusing. Like, I was like, wait, is Talia rescuing him? Right, that's wait, what I, that's, that's Lois? Once the cat started vomiting in the, in the Jimmy Olsen story, that's, that's when, for me, the book started faltering and I became less of a pick of the week contender. But... That was strange. I was like, why did they originally draw it to be Talia? And then they realized it didn't work and they changed the dialogue. Like, it was strange to give her such a specific. It's not like a dress off the rack. It's a very strange dress. And so she yes. shows, you know, Firestorm and Jimmy Olsen wearing a gorilla suit with, with, with the cat from Green Lantern, uh, the, the Green Lantern Sinestro War. I liked that bit because it meant that a lot of things had happened in the interim. <laughs> right, right and then you can you can i i noticed that and it's like oh he's been through some shit um <laughs> which i think is really funny that was funny just it was the dress that threw me off i was like why is she yeah. wearing the same no, dress you're right. no, 100%. And then, why are they not I even mentioning like, it that was she pretending to be talia but but clearly that she yeah. that wasn't that was talia before because she, superman rescues her when she gets thrown out of a plane by the new leviathan head who, who stages a coup and it was all very that was all very strange but i liked the I liked it. Overall, I liked it. I started it and I and I you know I clicked the thing. I was like, how many pages? Seventy nine pages. But for the most part, I was I was really enjoying myself. I think I'm very similar with where you are. I, I we were talking about high level writing. Mm-hmm. The writing on the Superman parts, you know, that Bendis is doing is, I, I'm impressed. Even like I think he's a good writer, but I was like, he's doing he's got something going on here that's really interesting. His character work is he's been inv- uh, he's been reinvigorated by going to DC. Yeah, I mean, so, but the bits, the sort of conversation with the, I don't know her name, the woman who doesn't, they don't say Superman or whatever, those characters mm-hmm. are very new to me. Yeah, well, she's a new, she's a new character. She's the head of, she's the secret crime boss of, of Metropolis. She's a great character. The style of characterization, the way that they speak, their motive, all of it is very not what I'm used to in comic books. And it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. It's a different type of character. And and we see so many archetypes of different of characters that, and it, it sort of went on for a while. And at first, it was very like I, I you know it's esoteric. We didn't really know what was, but it was compelling. And so I was really impressed by that. Lois and Clark's relationship is wonderful in these books. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're really good. I'm half and half on Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> I, honestly, I think there's a bit of bias. If it hadn't been. If it hadn't been Matt Fraction's name on it, I might have enjoyed it. But I have a I have a level of guard up about Matt Fraction sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I liked the fact, like I know you said when the cat started puking, I was like, oh, it's that cat, which is you know, it's the pizza dog thing. It's it's the same deal. Like like there's these little animal characters who 
people gravitate towards, and so they keep bringing them back, the bat cow, the whatever, right. you know. It's fine. I did like the over-the-top nature of it. At I least Bat Cow doesn't do anything. He just stands in the back chewing on cut. This is like, this is a whole I know, thing. But, but, it, like, but what I'm saying is, in for a penny, in for a pound, like, they went for it. Right. Every shot after that was was Jimmy covered head to toe in red <laughs> blood. And so, if you're going to do it, do it like that. I'm fine. And then the other part that was really fun about it, I, I think the strongest part about that is, well, A, Steve Lieber art. Yep. Um, in fact, every single gorilla in the background of this was Eisner worthy. <laughs> I think that needs to be noted. Like the like the group of gorillas watching the the facial expressions on them as they're kind of bored and kind of interested. Uh, there's at one point, there's literally when he runs through covered in blood. There's a gorilla who literally clutches her pearls. Like oh, <laughs> like there was there's a lot of wonderful stuff in there. Um, and I I like the fact that this is a gorilla city. And then it's completely wacky, but also that Jimmy Olsen's attitude is super consistent the whole way through, where mm. he's like, I don't know, all sorts of weird stuff happens to me, but I'll be fine. You know, it almost it, – it's funny because, like, it's a lot of the things that worked about the Hawkeye series. Yeah. And I think they're going to work even better on a character with Jimmy, like Jimmy Olsen because with at least Hawkeye, I had a – had a like, that's not right. He's silly um, and earnest and he's yeah. Superman's pal and he wears a bow tie and – you know, whatever happens from the point where he runs out of the hotel covered from head to toe in blood with the cat in hand to the point where he's wearing a gorilla suit <laughs> with the cat on his shoulder will be entertaining, I think. I, here's, but here's the thing, like, and I know that's what that first issue is going to be. I don't want to know that story. <laughs> I want that story to be in my head. I, he you should know, just go, know. man, some crazy shit's happened the last couple of weeks. That's what I want. I want them to pick up from the point that he shows up in this and just – and maybe they hint at it. They just refer to it the like uh, with the battle of whatever from Star Wars, which now they've explained. Uh, the Supergirl story was – I was like, oh, this is why I don't read Supergirl because I hate this. And I have been reading it, but at some – for a little while, it's just – I don't – it was – it was – it was uh, – after – Bendis and Rucka and Fraction. It was it, it had it had a bit of a slog feeling to it. I don't coming back to the Superman stuff again. I really like the characterization between the Red Mist girl and the new crime boss girl. And again, they're just just very different. Yeah. Than what I'm used to reading and sort of the villains. I like I love I love all the newsroom stuff. The newsroom stuff is wonderful in this book. It's fun. I look forward to to more of it. I don't really care about Leviathan. I just want to spend more time with these characters doing those things. And I am, you know, Steve Lieber draws a book. I buy the book. Yeah. End of story. I am looking for, I mean, at the end of every DC book, they were teasing the year of the villain, which I don't really care about. But I am looking forward to sort of this Bendis-led Leviathan story mm-hmm. that will have hope, many tentacles and many different things. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I mean, obviously, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen comes out in July, and Lois Lane comes out in July. So it's it's starting, you know, pretty soon. And I'm looking forward to it. And if you got guys like Rucka and Fraction and... If you're going to do a Lois Lane book, then Greg Ruck is your guy to write it. Yes. Yeah, that'll be fun. It'll be fun to have him back for yeah. a little while. Oh, Mac Weldon. <laughs> <laughs> we are nothing if not enthusiastic supporters of this of this sponsor. That's true. True. We can generally tell you that Mac Weldon, in our experience, is better than whatever you're wearing right now. Mm-hmm. It, just, it just is. It's a higher quality product that performs its function very well. They have premium men's essentials. 
They believe in smart design and premium fabrics and simple shopping. It's it's nice and easy to go on the website. You're not going to get lost. There are not endless trees. Everything is divided in the way it needs to be. You can find what you need. Lots of colors, lots of size options. Um, a lot of products now have started showing up for sure. They will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants, and more that you will ever wear. I got an email. I got a marketing email from them the other day, and it was about their their sort of breathable summer stuff. And I mm. I made sure to not. I was like, I'll save that in my inbox and go through with those and really check things out, see what I can do because it's gonna get hot. And apparently it's going to just keep getting hotter. Um, so, <laughs> so you might as well have comfortable, breathable clothing while you're dying in the, in the inferno apocalypse. That's right. There's the silver underwear and shirts that are uh, naturally antimicrobial, which means that they don't stink. Uh, that, that stuff in bacteria that makes them smell bad cannot live there. And therefore, uh, they stay fresh. It, it's wonderful. They want you to be comfortable. If you do not like your first pair, you keep it. And they will still refund you. No questions asked. So. Yeah. I mean, in the last week, I've worn, in addition to the underwear, both the pants in various mm-hmm. situations. The the sweatpants as we talked about are great loungewear pants. It's great for, you know, binging Deadwood as I've been doing for the last mm-hmm. couple of weeks in preparation for the film. And the um, outerwear pants, this premium looking uh, travel pants, are great for running errands, going to the gym. You know, if you're if you're if you're in an all day situation with uh, the one <laughs> the one thing about those pants is they have a really comfortable elastic waist, and I keep forgetting mm-hmm. that they're not like sweatpants. So I keep trying to pull them down like sweatpants and it keeps the button keeps going ow <laughs> you you're you're taken by surprise by the comfort yeah because they're so comfortable you you know and they, and they look great you can walk around all day in them and and not feel schlubby it's uncomfortable i'm not pants. gonna lie i was wearing my sweatpants the other day caught myself from behind i was like my butt looks good in these that's a real thing that happened i had that thought for a second i've done i've done yoga in them yeah, there you I've go. done many things. I did yard work in the in the radius pant. Then you just kind of brush them off. You're good to go. They're good. It's a good product. Mm-hmm. Is what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, for 20 percent off your first order, visit macweldon.com. Enter the promo code ifanboy at checkout. Uh, that is a significant uh, discount. You'll appreciate it. It is worth your time, money, and uh, and attention to go check that stuff out. And uh, there's no way you don't enjoy it nearly as much as we do. You just don't. So thank you, Mac Weldon. Also worth your time, money, and effort is X-Men Grand Design. That series, this is the latest issue, Extinction, number one, from Ed Score, continues his quixotic tour of the history of the X-Men. Don't know why he's, this is happening or doing I'm, I'm sure he must love the X-Men as much as he loved doing the history of hip-hop. I love this book, even if we're now entering the really rocky period of X-Men history. The late 80s, you've got the Australia years, the Marauders. Mr. Sinister, this is... That's when I came into comics, and I've never gotten into X-Men as a Yeah, I mean, if you came in here, I can totally see why. This is, you know, post uh, the, the Claremont burn, golden years, you know, post, obviously, the original Kirby Stan Lee stuff, and we've entered this sort of the punkier, rougher... This is the storm with the Mohawk, and Longshot shows up, and Dazzler, and, you know, it's it, it, this is, like, deep... This is like deep cut X-Men stuff at this point. I wasn't reading the books at this point. I had late 80s. I would dabble in the X-Men. It wasn't until Jim Lee came along in the 90s where I really started reading X-Men regularly. So it was fun to read this because, again, I haven't read all these stories. So this gives you, I mean, when this is all over and done with, how many things can you say that you can hand someone this whole thing and be like, you will know all you know about this family of characters by reading this this series. It's, it's a really amazing overview that he's you doing You go here. toe-to-toe with iFanboy co-founder Ron Richards. Well, maybe. <laughs> the distillation of the history is really quite something in Ed Piscor's 
style, which is, you know, yep. incredible. I really like this book. If, if it hadn't been for... I thought about this as Pick of the Week, but it just didn't have the emotional pull because I, I hadn't read these books as the other ones sure. that I had read. So we ended the hunted storyline over in Amazing Spider-Man. Did you feel like it ended abruptly? I feel like it needed to end. So I was fine with that. <laughs> well, I, I, mean, I didn't have that feeling. I see what you're saying, I guess, but it hadn't occurred to me. There was, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not throwing my stake in the ground on it. I'm just trying to figure out if I feel that way or not. Because it, it, it felt like the buildup was such... Because this is part six, but we've had all the side issues. We've had those, yeah. those HU issues. So it's really more like part 10 or 11. So yeah. in that sense, it, it's, it's a big, meaty story. But also, it left a, it, there was a cliffhanger left at the end, too, where, you know, like, the other... No, was there not? I'm no, trying to think. no, the... So this story ended much like the original Craven story in which the, a spider must kill me, and so he... Uh, or he must be killed by the spider, so Craven dresses up in the Spider-Man costume and his son beats him to death. Right, so there's still the son, though, who... The son's still around as a villain, Right, but, so th- that's what I mean by... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the there's son still a Craven out there, just not the Craven. Who uh-huh. has died before? Clearly, he died. He shot himself in the head in Craven's Last Hunt. So, right, and he came back. That, you know, I I have to admit, I've never read Craven's Last Hunt. Mm-hmm. Like as a as you know, having recently talked about Daredevil: Born Again, that is another one of my blind spots that I just n- never read. I like this this story. We've talked about it a bunch. Yeah. I, I ultimately liked it. I felt like maybe maybe it's because the confrontation between Spider Man and Craven only really happened in this issue, so it felt like they were building up to this thing that only happened, you know. In 20 pages, but oh, I liked it. Ultimately, I thought this was successful. I think there was definitely a moment, and I think I know what you're talking about. It's around the time when, like, he gets freed from his little cage thing, and then I was like, "Oh, we're 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 through here." You know, we're we're going to be done in a moment, and and that's where I fe- feel like it felt a little abrupt. Now, maybe also, the story, even though it says the conclusion, maybe the story's continuing because the next issue cover is someone that looks like a Craven sticking a knife in the mask of Spider-Man. So right. maybe the son's story continues. I don't know. I, I, I have enjoyed this. I just felt like the main Craven story may have ended very abruptly for me, but I could be wrong. Yeah. I'm willing to be wrong. Like I don't want this to go on for a th- like I don't want sure. the next story to also be Craven. Let's we were we were we were having some fun. We were moving along before. I don't want to just keep doing this. Mm-hmm. The War of the Realms War Scrolls number two. I had forgotten what the issue prior to this was until I opened it. I was like, oh, it's this little this little anthology. Mm-hmm. I liked this for the most part. I like the for whatever reason the Daredevil story, which on the surface should be stupid. I really like a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, if you asked me about it, I'd be like, no, this, that's terrible. But it's kind of so wacky that it totally works for me. Well, yeah, the him, him fighting Kingpin. Kingpin has basically a Norse hammer, and, and Daredevil has the power of the gods, so they have an epic god fight. Yep. In front of the cameras as Kingpin calculates so that everyone will see him on the news defending the city as the mayor, when he's really just trying yep. to cave Daredevil's skull in with the hammer. It was a smart twist. I really dug that story, my only complaint. Mm-hmm. Is that Kingpin doesn't look like Kingpin. He's way no. too skinny. He looks like, what's his name for the TV show? Vincent D'Onofrio. Oh, yeah. Not yeah, in the yeah. face, but in the body type. And, and Yeah, no, yeah. he just, like, have, but having, again, having just read Born Again, I yeah. was like, make him huge. That's, he just looks like a that's, heavy dude. Yeah. You know, the Doctor Strange stuff was really fun and, and good. I, 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 It was fun. There's little little fun stories. And I, I and then finally you had the, the I guess, the, I want to say the Young Avengers story, but it's it's uh, Wiccan and Hulkling. And it's a callback to their relationship with Loki when Loki was a kid in the Young Avengers that I want to say Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey did. I think is so. Is that right? I think so. 
And I was like, oh, that's a really nice connection to these characters and a way to do it. And then the sort of subtext of what was going on there was a really nice little psychological thing about Loki that I thought was really cool. Also, there was an Adele Dazim joke, and that made me laugh. And I said, somewhere a gay man wrote this. And I looked it up, and I was right. Because <laughs> I think only me and gay men remember Adele Dazim jokes. But that's one of my favorite things that's ever happened on television. <laughs> but it's a really good story, and it was fun. Well, I like the little anthology as a thing. Instead of having like a whole mini series about some side event, just do a couple of little things and, and even have them continue like this serialized. I thought it was cool. I feel like reading the War of the Realms books is sort of akin to being in a blizzard. They're just they're just <laughs> constantly dropping on me. And I'm like, do I read this one? What is this? One? Have I been reading this one? What's did I, did I like yeah. this one? And I'm just sort of like reading as much as I can and trying not to drown. And you grab a thread. You're like, all right, this. Okay, cool. And then, then you grab another one and you try to, you know, attach context to that one. And I want to point out, I'm I'm enjoying them. I just feel yes. like they're every time I turn around, five more have appeared. And I'm like, where did these come from? Well, I mean, it works in the context of if this is, a you know, the war, war of the realms and they're all over the earth and doing whatever. There'd be a lot of stories. I need an assistant who just keeps track of what I'm reading and what I'm not reading. I think you're just fine at that. <laughs> I have one. It's called you. Detective Comics Annual Number 2. Side note before we get into the actual story. These annual numberings are super dumb. I realize why they put the numbers on, but take the numbers off and just give them a year. Just say Detective Comics Annual 2019. The numbers are stupid. It, it, it <laughs> doesn't make any sense. They keep starting at 1. I get why they do that for sales reasons, but then why have a number 2? It doesn't it doesn't make any it doesn't it's stupid. It's just dumb. Speaking of stupid, <laughs> I didn't look this up because mm -hmm. I wanted to have the moment where I could ask you. Yeah. This is the character yes, it from is. year two. Yes, it is. The Todd McFarlane, Frank Miller. Yeah, this is the uh, the Reaper from year two. Batman year okay. two, yes. Year one now, was Frank now, Miller doing the origin. Year two was the Reaper. Year three was uh, Dick Grayson. Okay, the Dick Grayson one I remember. I remember going back and finding year two and seeing that Todd McFarlane drew it. I don't think – did Frank Miller also write it? No, um, and he didn't – McFarlane didn't draw all of it. I believe Alan Davis drew some of it. I'll look it up okay. when you – while you talk. I remember seeing that it existed when I was very young and being very excited and getting it and not liking it at all. I remember <laughs> that much, which happened a lot when I looked up Todd McFarlane after my initial excitement on Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, I, I, I had the opposite. I loved it. It was Mike W. Barr uh -huh. wrote it. Right. He was a really good Batman writer. And then uh, it was it was mostly Alan Davis and then some Todd okay. McFarlane. That might well, be why you way, hated it because he wasn't really much Todd McFarlane. Maybe. But I was also 13. So who knows? Yeah. Somebody wrote in and was like, this is your pick of the week. And I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. And then I, just, I was like, Ugh, this is so rote. <laughs> I was so bored by it. And, and I don't know. I know it's a connection to sort of Batman stories from the – late 80s or early 90s but i was just i thought the art was really good but besides that listen man just, even i thought it was rote and it was fine yeah. it was fine it was super fine like it's just like i can make an annual be something it wasn't Come even on. you know i we we both talked about how tomasi is doing a really interesting and fun story in the, yes. in the book the, I yes. the main book but it's just the fucking another book. reason i was looking forward to it and so I don't want. I'm not. I'm not writing it off as the creative team. It's just like it was fine. It was a Batman story. It was a callback to year two again. Another old story they they're claiming happened in the five years of the, the New Fifty Two. It was fine. You know, I liked. My favorite bit was 
Bruce acting as because I read yes. it right after after Superman. So Bruce, Bruce successfully acting as the foppish uh, billionaire playboy at a Bilderberg, uh, you know, symposium, and that was fun. And and uh, I thought the girl was gonna go somewhere, but she just sort of disappeared from the story, never came back. Yep. You know, the bit with the autograph guy was funny. Like it was, there were good bits in here. It wasn't bad. It just was like yes. okay, I finished it. I was like that was a. Uh, that was fine, but for the story, the the mystery, the the adventure part was just like, all right, it's just an, it's just another one of these, which, you know, I guess that's what Batman is a lot of the time. But yeah, it was fine. I mean, the art was good. The Stephen Moore art was good. Yeah, it really was. He's been one of the guys that had been drawing Nightwing. I don't know what happened to him. Yeah, it was all right. It was fine. Let us move along to the book uh, which is imposed upon us. The patron, patron pick. pick. Uh, if if you are a patron of any scope, uh, we'll tell you a little more about that soon. Uh, you'll have a vote on a book that you're forcing us to read. I'm putting these in negative terms, aren't I? You are. It's just it's coercion. It's I mean it's we've invited it, uh, but basically it's a it's a true democ- democracy. Whoever the, whoever gets the most votes, that's the book you read. And unless it's a case of a tie, which will be solved instead of reading a thousand things uh, by a coin flip from now on. Yep. Um, but but the clear winner this week was. Killer Groove number one from Aftershark, Aftershock Comics. Aftershark would be awesome. Uh, yeah, post shark. Smile, you son of a bitch. That's like and somebody with like one leg, and he's got the best stories at the bar because he's po- he's True. Aftershark. <laughs> Me <laughs> life true. after the shark. Arr. Story by Ollie Masters. Uh, art by Owen uh, Marin. Colors by Jordi Belair, and and letters by Hassan Atmani Alhau. I got that wrong at the end. He does letters for all those really good dynamite books we've been yep. reading lately. How would you describe this book? What would what would you say the the, the plot, plot? or the the pitch is? Seventies so, <laughs> LA music scene. That's it. Early seventies. Because I, I don't know anything else. That was part of my main problem was that there's just not enough here to know what's going on. A burnout guy who had gone to LA to become a rock star with really strange hair ends up caught up in a murder. In an alley behind a club, I can't give you the, the easy synopsis because they don't really tell you a lot. There's like two or three things happening here, and you don't know how they're related. But there's this guy, this rocker, who gets caught up in a mystery. There's this woman from the bar he works at who he likes, who's a private investigator, who's taken the case of a missing father. And then there's her father, who in the opening scene, a bunch of guys in ski masks and machetes try to kill him. He, despite being an elderly man, jumps out the window into a pool and escapes. All right. Three disparate things that are happening. Obviously, they're all related because the people are related in some way, but there isn't like a through line. So what Connor has just done, (laughs) sort of by design on my part, (laughs) is elucidate the problem with this issue. Wait, before you get into the problem, I just want to give it credit for not having monsters, aliens, zombies, demons. Mm -hmm. It's just so far appears to be a pure crime story, which I give it credit for. Yes, and on the surface... Based on the premise therein and the things that you just said, I should have been very excited about this. A music scene, 70s L.A., crime. Mm -hmm. It's got all the high-level hallmarks of a book that we are going to both love. This book, it's all premise. There's not a clear story here. Yes. That is the problem right away. It's not a good first issue. No, it's not. Because at the end of it, I don't really know who anybody is or where they're going or what what they want. I did like the art. I like the art a great deal. Yes. However, I think there's a design error on the musician character. Yes. It's distracting. I think I, I and it might be that 
he just looks like he's wearing a lady's wig. Yeah, so he's a, he's an Italian guy from Brooklyn. He has black sideburns, black mustache, black stubble, but but like a but like a feathered blonde haircut, and it just it's like weird. I don't know if he's I don't know if he's supposed to be a loser or, or he's supposed to be like um who's the Coen Brothers movie Oscar Isaac you know like like yeah. a talented. I don't know because I don't know what the signals are trying to tell me. And it's hard. And, you, it's hard as you can't actually hear him sing and play. So you don't know if he's any good. So yeah, no, you're relying really on the story cues to tell you. And he, he first you see him playing in a bar. And no one cares. You think, oh, he must suck. Yeah. And then he says, well, he almost had a hit. And but that could just be his opinion. But then later on, I think someone's like, your song's really good. And it's yeah, hard to I say without actually know. hearing it. It's hard to say if he's good or not. And you get the uh-huh. sense he's not. He looks like this old schlubby loser with a weird. And I, you, I like you. I kept waiting for the wig to come off. I got, yeah, that, I was like, "When's this wig coming off?" Because it's clearly not his real hair. Um, but I guess it is. So it might hair. be that they're taking advantage. It might be that these are the visual signals they want to send. But it made it kind of muddled for me, so I didn't know. And and again, it's the first issue, so I need to know who to root for in a certain way. Right. Or at least I need you to fool me into thinking I need to root for a person. Right. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't have to be the person I'm rooting for, but I had to think somebody is worth rooting for, and I didn't have that. Um, my complaint. I'm sorry. Um, I, I and I hate doing this with indie comics, or it's not really indie; it's published. But you know, like you know, it's creator owned. Somebody's did their thing, and I, I don't like to rip it apart. But you know, that's like at the end of it, I was like, I really want to like this, but they they didn't give me anything. Then you've got the private investigator girl, uh, uh, aka uh, Jessica Jones, aka every every other Greg Rucka character. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was Stumptown. It was it was. It was. I was like, "This is really." She's slightly haggard. She's tired. She's at the. You know. She's a drunk. <sighs> yeah, and and I, I really, and I was immediate. Like her office even looks like the stump town. Like, come on. <laughs> like, yeah. I know you like those kind of characters. You have to do something slightly different. That being said, so those are those. Are the, so I'm gonna. Well, I'm let, me, let me add one more thing just before you yep. get to that point. Is we talked about this with with another project. I don't remember what it was, but. If you are going to set it in a specific time period, take advantage of that time period. And it just didn't feel like the 70s other than the guy's weird hair. Mm-hmm. Like, it, yeah. didn't, it didn't, I had no sense of the 70s here. Not that I have a lot of sense <laughs> as a human because I was only briefly alive in the 70s. But it, it just didn't, if you, if you didn't tell me it was the 70s, I, it could have been right now. And this, it's not because the 70s are back, because they're not, the 90s are back. But uh, I didn't get a sense of clothing, of style, of place from Yeah, it's just like somebody it. liked the nice guys and Stumptown and was like, let's make it, and, you know, a bunch of stuff. Now, I think there are two really good scenes in here. Mm-hmm. The scene where the guitar dude comes upon this thing that's happening in the alley behind the troubadour. The fight. There's a fight. And, and basically uh, kills a guy, stabbing him in the neck because he's coming for him. And then and the other guy, like he thinks he's helping somebody. But it turns out the guy that he then goes has coffee with the other guy who seems to be a hitman. Yeah. And there's a really interesting conversation that takes place there where you think one thing is one thing, but it's not. It's another, which all makes the, the appearance of the guy problematic. Like I don't know who he is well enough to, to make – context of that but that's a really good scene second scene that was really good is the little girl coming to the private investigator Mm -hmm. and and pretty much that whole conversation and everything that happened in there i thought was really interesting Mm -hmm. and and unexpected in a lot of ways so there's two really strong scenes in here the rest of it i don't know what to make of 
Yeah, it was weird. The colors are beautiful. <laughs> I, I know it's Jordy Miller, so it's not but like it's good. That's the most seventies thing about it. There's a hue to it mm-hmm. that makes me feel like you know dirty Los Angeles before it got shiny. Right. You know. Let's do ratings on Killer Groove number one. Ratings out of five. Ratings. Tough one. Tough one. Two and a half, and that's there's promising things in it. That was where I was going in my head as you were talking earlier. Mm-hmm. So I think that's 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 fair. Yeah, I think it could very well be that that these creators, you know, uh, Ollie Masters will figure out his story strengths eventually, and then these things will come together. There's elements here that are worth it, um, but this was a little bit of a mess. I thought. Well, there you go. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. That's where you can go sign up and vote to add a book to the rundown. It's also where you can go involve yourself in many things. We have Hangouts. We have a Facebook group where there's lots of discussion going on. There's lots of benefits to being a patron as well as your superpower, which you're going to get in a second. Why go to Patreon.com slash iFanboy? Well, that's the best way you can help us out directly. Keep the show going. Support the show. Our next stretch goal, which we've talked about, is the monthly non-comics media podcast, as well as uploading all the missing video shows we did many years ago. There's, there's, there's many, many, many shows missing from YouTube. We'll put them all back up there if we hit the stretch goal. Also help us out by going to ifanboy.threadless.com. That's where you can find our shirt designs, ifanboy logo, her and Pickwick podcast ratings. If one is electro, go GDAT. It doesn't make sense. Nothing matters. Which I think is inching up on being 50% of all the sales at this point. Huh. Which is crazy. Good shirt. Family.com slash support. That's where you can help us out directly via PayPal. If you want to just throw us a donation without becoming a patron or buying a shirt, which is totally fine. And Family.com slash Amazon. That's where you can find all the books we talk about in the Booksplode, as well as a general Amazon link. And we thank everyone who does anything to support the show. We do appreciate it. It does keep the Fanboy going. Keep it alive. And we thank you. As we said, one of the benefits of being a patron, if you give it the $5 or higher level, is you get your own superpower live on the show. And we're inching ever closer to the end of the list. Anyone who is wondering where you're, where you are, we are. I wouldn't say we're around the home stretch. So there's still a ways to go, but we are. We can see the end. So keep just patience is a virtue. <laughs> so Ben Wild mm-hmm. can peel any piece of fruit in a single motion, resulting in one piece of peel left over. Okay, peelable fruits. It's not so. It's not like the swirling uh, orange thing. It's just like there'll be a, there'll be a complete orange shell after the. No, 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 no. It, it's it could, the swirl is there, but at no point is it broken. It's fast. It's efficient. You know, he doesn't have to start the peel over again. Once he starts it, it's one motion, mm-hmm. and then resulting in one final peel. Mm. No matter what. what. With the orange, a lot of people have worked that out. With the apple, it's super fucking impressive. <laughs> <laughs> I also had a fruit-based one I was going to save for the end, but I guess I'll do it next. Sure. You remember gold balls? From Vaguely, the, From yes. the comics, who could manifest yep. golden balls and use them as weapons or whatever. <laughs> I don't know who created that character, but they know it's funny and they're still laughing that it exists. Gold balls <laughs> can do that with gold balls. Joshua Lincoln Nelson can manifest mini watermelons. <laughs> not the big, not not the big oval ones, but the small round ones that are like the size of like a big Ow. softball. And oh, well, can, you answered my you answered my first question. Yeah, so the mini ones, and he can throw them. He Seedless can fl- or seeded? Oh no, they're seeded, but you know okay. he, they can be tossed as weapons. 
they can fill spaces. They can just, <laughs> if you're hungry, you know, you need some hydration, he can manifest a watermelon for you. Do you like watermelon? I like watermelon as a juice. I like the juiced watermelon. I like oh. cold pressed watermelon juice a lot. I don't necessarily really? like eating watermelon, yes. I don't like watermelon. When you, when you mix a- cold pressed watermelon juice with champagne, uh-huh. you get drunk, but you don't get hungover. Because you're, you're well, hydrating okay. while you're drinking, and it's and it's terrific. It's the best kind of thing. <laughs> the other day in the supermarket, I handed my five-year-old son, who's quite small, a full-size giant watermelon. I was like, here, hold this. And he was like, ah! Did he fall over? Uh, no, I didn't want to pay for the watermelon. I, it was very brief. It would have been really funny if he just take, if it, he'd fallen out of frame. Yeah. <laughs> it turns out the world is not in frames or yeah. not. Yes. I guess I guess your field of vision, but it, <laughs> it's it's not as clear cut as like a movie right. where I I frequently say that one of my favorite things in the world is an off screen tackle. Right, it's, where oh, a character yes. appears from just out of frame to take out a character in frame. I watched oh, Hawaii Five yeah. O for about three seasons longer than I should have because they they frequently use the off screen tackle. <laughs> my sister and I would watch it, and she go, "He's bulldogging him." J.J. Abrams is famous because he does that, but just with a bus. Right, the off-screen bus tackle, which is a level up from the regular tackle. It's sure, but I'm always on alert now. The whole, <laughs> the whole Force Awakens, I was like, oh, shit. When's the space bus coming? <laughs> space bus. Uh, Adam can make the problem that someone is having appear at the time that it needs to be diagnosed. There's uh, no explain. bringing the car in, and then it doesn't do the thing that you brought it in to have them repair. Oh, I understand. So I, I, I like uh, when you take your computer in, you're like, it's doing this thing, but you open it up and it's not doing anything anymore. But then you take it home and it does it again because there's yep. like an or, like the same thing happened with me. And uh, I went to the doctor because my thumb was hurting, but it magically stopped magically stopped hurting when I went to the doctor. And when I and yeah, absolutely, I know what you yep. mean. So whenever it's time for the thing to be diagnosed, be it your computer, your vehicle, your body, if Adam is around, he projects an aura that that makes that thing happen at the time that you need it to happen, so that you can get uh, treatment. We're just not seeing it right now. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, like yeah, like my car's making this noise. Well, it's not making it now. Well, it's going to make it on the way home. I'm going to <laughs> bet you all of the money in my wallet. <laughs> not a problem around Adam. <laughs> Arcadia Corrigan. So Arcadia Corrigan can self tan. I hope that's her real name. That's a wonderful name. So, like, you know, if, if Arcadia if is if a woman or a man, whoever, Arcadia wants a little bit of tan, but doesn't want to go out in the sun. Mm-hmm. Can change the, can darken the pigment in the skin, can lighten it if if it's the tan's no longer appropriate. Can 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 control the the, the the deepness of the tan in in Arcadia's skin. As related to what the person of that skin tone would normally the right, range like yeah like i want a little bit of a tan It'll, you know give me give me like a i've been out in the sun um, six hours tan and then she internal yeah. melanin adjustment absolutely yes okay I bet internal, she internal i bet she sleeps well also right it doesn't need to go out in the sun don't have to worry about you, you know. still want to take those vitamin d pills oh, no, absolutely so there you go <laughs> patreon.com slash ifanboy that's where you can go get your dumb superpower we thank everyone who does that we have a lot of fun doing this it's gonna be sad when it's over um, we went long. Yeah, we did. Uh, we should probably stop and then okay. save at least that first question. I want we'll to answer that. We will save these questions that we had picked out for next week. A lot of good questions this week. There was an influx yep. of, of questions. I had a plethora to choose from, so thank you. Keep, keep them coming. Uh, we, 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 we see them all. 
And uh, we do, and we appreciate them. So we'll get back to those next week. We won't go as long on the because there was so many event books it was, or big books that we talked about. We went long on them. Yep, and they were long. Sorry. So that's not that's not, that's our, not fault. our fault. <laughs> <laughs> Out now, after this past week, you will have received a new book explode thanks to the uh, patrons. Mm-hmm. As always, Connor and I talked about Daredevil Born Again, uh, which I had never read and he had not read in long enough that he didn't really know it. Yeah. Uh, and spoiler, it's quite good. <laughs> it's, quite, it's quite good. It's quite cool. It's quite, it's quite good. It's, it's actively affecting my take on things I'm reading now. I'm like, well, shit, well, this, this, this was a poor week for Daredevil issue to come out. <laughs> poor timing. On their part. Not that they really can concern themselves with our publishing schedule, but it was a rough contrast. (laughs) Yeah, we chose not to do that this week. It would have been too ugly. So next week, X-Men Dark Phoenix comes out, and I guess we'll do a show on it. Like, none of us want to really see it, but I was thinking about it, and like we've talked about all of the X-Men movies since... One of our first big special edition shows was the X the X Men Last Stand show, so I feel like we gotta put a pin in the whole thing. So some some form of I fanboy podcasters will talk about the film. We haven't figured out what what Voltron that will be yet, but I'm someone will talk about I, it. I took the bullet on Hellboy, so I don't feel a great need. No, to, you uh... you definitely don't have to. <laughs> you did that for all of us, so. Uh, yeah, there'll be a there'll be a Dark Phoenix show. All right. Who will be talking about Dark Phoenix? I don't know yet. Go over to ifanboy.com. You can find all of the podcasts that we did, like those other semi-controversial movie shows. People got real mad at us for not liking X Men: The Last Stand, and I think we were vindicated. I I mean I think so too. I'm real mad at me for my review on that Superman movie. Well, <laughs> to go, I like to do some some uh, some do overs in that way, but not X Men: The Last Stand. That's still terrible. It's probably even worse now. Yes, you can do that. You can find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out by liking Facebook.com/slash/ifanboy or following ifanboy on Twitter or being a patron. That's there. Also, you can uh, go to at ifanboy comics on Instagram, where uh, there's the best of the weekend panels and some other things that we find that get passed around there. Uh, and you can follow us individually on at Jay Flanagan on Twitter and Instagram and at C.S. Kilpatrick on Instagram, especially if you like old movies. And if you like the show, write a review on iTunes or leave a star rating. Even if you don't write a review, you can just click a star rating. It takes two seconds. That's for our show or any podcast you listen to. I went and I rated the David Tennant podcast because I enjoyed it quite a bit. Any show you listen to, it does help people find podcasts. If the more ratings, the more reviews, the better they do in the algorithm and the better, more people find them. And they, that's the easiest way you can help a show you like. Any show. And even better than that is tell your friends about it. Spread the word. Um, recommended, rev- you know, people who are personally recommended tend to check things out. So we do appreciate everyone who talks about that. And whenever we see it on social media, we're always thankful. We appreciate you helping uh, spread the love as our street team because there is no marketing budget. So <laughs> until next week when we will get to the emails and I guess talk about Dark Phoenix, I am Connor. I'm Josh, and I'm talking about Dark Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> I try to understand.